0: Welcome back. Hopefully we're not uh, tuckering you out too bad. You being a morning person and everything, I'm on my second glass of coffee here.
1: caffeine, yeah, it's a jet fuel.
0: Yeah. Well, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, that we were talking about is systems and frameworks. Right. And um, I have a deep appreciation for those because um, if you have a library of them, right, And you're you have a situation in life that helps you think about a problem without you having to sort of master the details of everything and process all the details. You have a framework for thinking through it. Right. And that is one of the things that is like, um, I'd say substantive, but also super impressive about what you've been able to do. Right. And how you've expressed sort of this art of negotiation, the the athleticism, if you will, the intellectual Mm -hmm. athleticism that it takes and that it's like a muscle. But like I want to talk through some of the techniques. That you use in some situations that would have a lot of applicability, uh, a lot of applicability, you know, uh, to entrepreneurs and give give them sort of uh, a few of your li- the your library, if you will, of some of the frameworks uh, and situations that that they'll likely encounter that you already have the information on. Okay. So, like, one of them <clears throat> is mirroring. Yeah. You know,
1: seems so simple. Right. Yeah, mirroring is. Uh repeating the last one to three words of what somebody's just said. It's not the body language mirror, and it's not it's not mimicking uh, the other person or tonality or body language, also known as affect in any way. It's repeating the one to la- the last one to three ish words. Could be just one word, could be no more than five. Now when you get really good at mirroring, or you get used to it, you get your uh, results reps in, and does it have to be the last one to three words? No, you can move it around. You could selectively mirror. But mirroring is a great reflex to build because when you're caught off guard, you could always mirror. Um, and it it gets you an opportunity to get your feet back under you, intellectually, um, mentally. And it also gets the other person to continue to talk. Uh, people in who are high IQ and high EQ love mirrors. I don't know why that is, but anytime somebody's really into mirrors only as a skill, I'll find out that they have both high IQ and high EQ and many high IQ people rely on it so much that they don't bother with their EQ. Mm-hmm. They think their IQ is enough. There's a phrase, IQ will get you hired, EQ will get you fired. You can't keep a job and do well at a job without EQ. You can get in the door with an impressive resume and be a complete and utter failure because you don't have any people skills. But the mirror is a great reflex tool. In any given moment, it will bail you out. Or it's a great substitute to get to say to someone, can you please go on? What do you mean by that? I mean, it's a great connector of thoughts. It's almost so, like
0: an invitation, right? If you mirror somebody in the last couple uh-huh. of things, they're like, oh, I should keep talking.
1: I like that a lot. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, it, it's very, it feels like an invitation to continue to talk, which people are more likely to respond to and expand on because they don't feel like they're being interrogated or cornered. Mm-hmm. And no matter how well-intentioned what do you mean by that? Is there's a there's an element of interrogation to that, regardless. So the mirrors are mirrors are great skill, uh, just great, great, and and I do it automatically because I know that the person hearing it, as you said, they feel the invitation, they feel encouraged, they want to go on, and most importantly, they'll uh, expand or change the words. Like you could say something to me and I, and if I say, what do you mean by that? You might repeat it exactly the way you just said it. Word for word, maybe even louder, you know, like an American overseas, Mm -hmm. where is the train? Where is the train? You know, like, (laughs) what do you mean? The train. Um, But if you mirror somebody, there's something that kicks in in their brain where they're gonna expand, reword, they're gonna change. Yeah. And that's another reason why it's better than saying, what'd you mean by that? Because you're gonna change what you just said. Because if I mirror you, part of what you hear is, okay, I got the words, but they weren't enough. And I need you to reword it because I'm having trouble catching on. And that message comes across really subtly and gently, and it lands well.
0: Yeah, the the other thing that I thought uh, was, uh, interesting is the use of uh the using of silence because if mm-hmm. you if you yeah. pair that mirroring with the use of silence. using of silence yep. people are like and i'm going to give you more and the thing that i really like about um uh all, all of the things that that we're about, you know we're about to talk about a couple of things but this um authenticity and trust building that happens by doing some of these techniques right and that how that basis sort of opens up this world of more information, right? Which is where you start to identify sort of what we were talking about earlier, which is those black swans.
1: Right, right, right. So um, uh, before I comment uh, on the authenticity and trust building, i want to go back to something you said just a second ago about silence. Mm-hmm. Um, And two out of three people are uncomfortable with silence for two completely different reasons. The black swan method we believe, and we've got the data qualitative, 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 which is basically our experience. Yeah. If we got enough experience um with results, then you might know what you're talking about. Yeah. So the world splits evenly into thirds. Fight, flight, make friends. It's that way in China, it's that way in Pakistan, India, South America, the Middle East, United States. Fight, flight, make friends. Evenly into thirds. Silence is uncomfortable for the make-friends type because the make, for the make-friends type, the worst thing they could do to somebody is give them the silent treatment. Stonewalling. Right. So if they go silent, they're horrified that the other person thinks they're angry. So the, their instinctive reaction to silence is, I can't use dynamic silence because they're going to think I'm angry. Not the case because the one type that likes silence, the uh, flight also known as the analyst who loves to think, they're grateful when you shut up because they want to think. So you imagine the analyst talking to the accommodator and the analyst is like, I just need some time to think. I'm going to go silent for a second and the accommodator is thinking oh my god he's angry i gotta talk i gotta talk i gotta break the silence mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just is <laughs> it is an impasse due to type mismatch now the other person uh the flight uh the fight type the assertive yeah i'm a natural born assertive donald trump's an assertive i'm an assertive we think if you go silent it's because you want to hear more from me you want me to explain something yeah. to you let me exp- you shut up because you want to listen Again, imagine the analytical type who shuts up because he wants to think, Yeah, and I go like, oh, you want to hear more, and I start yakking away at you. It's another mismatch. Yeah, yeah, another mismatch, but I feel in control when I'm talking, so I don't want to go silent. But silence is typically the opportunity to think or the opportunity to react. I'll go silent on you if you're an assertive because I want you to talk yourself into my deal. Yeah. And so the assertive, it's easy to get them to talk, them into your deal if you're willing to let them talk, so silence is a great advantage. Or if you're a relationship-oriented person, I'll go silent on you because you're going to want to talk, and you're going to want to build on the relationship, and you, you're going to want to discover what will make a great relationship, so I'm going to let you talk about it, and I'm, if you're an analytical person, I'm going to go silent with you because you're going to want to think. And so I increase trust and rapport with you, which was the other thing you were just talking about. If I shut up and let you think, you're not gonna feel backed into a corner. You're not gonna feel that you're trying to overwhelm me with facts, or that you're trying to learn everything about me personally, Mm -hmm. which if you're an analyst, you don't wanna give up all that personal information. You don't wanna tell me if, your kids play little league baseball. Yeah, there is going to be some withholding there.
0: Right, you are not comfortable. Not going to offer it. it up.
1: Yeah, so silence as in as a user's tool is tremendously powerful in also diagnosing who I am dealing with. Yeah, see, that's a big one. There
0: is uh, I like that framework of one of the things we were talking about is the there is a threshold. Between you know that crosses over from sales into negotiation. You said right. that threshold is when an expression is "I want" or "I need," right? And when you don't know you've crossed over that threshold, that that's a tough one, right? Right. But one of the things that you were just saying is that in preparation for that threshold, or during whatever point in there, you need to understand sort of the three, one of the three types that you're dealing with: the assertive, right? The accommodator on the other end, and then what was the middle one, the analyst? Analyst that is an important thing because the use of the the use of the framework matters to the type
1: yeah right yeah
0: okay and so there's these the, the one of the mastery of the tools that I'm understanding of what you're saying about negotiation is uh, being able to understand who you're dealing with and how to use the tools right and uh, you may need to use the tools to diagnose who you're dealing with because okay. you might not know it in advance. So what's a way to figure out which which type you're dealing with once you've crossed over that threshold?
1: Well, um, the other two types will often masquerade as accommodators because they've learned the advantage of being a friendly. Um, Analysts pick it up sooner than assertives do. My daughter-in-law is um, an analyst and people that meet her are convinced she's an accommodator because she laughs and she giggles and she's super friendly and she likes to talk about stuff she's excited about Mm -hmm. but she's very analytical and she's really really smart and as an analyst her analytical brain kicked into gear and said i get better deals if i'm friendly okay and so she's friendly like uh, for a while she worked in my company she ran a marketing operation for a while phenomenal marketer and one of the one of our vendors and and re-upping our annual uh rate every time they pitched her on the price she just she would just laugh and laugh and they dropped the price and then she just respond by laughing some more and they dropped the price again (laughs) so you know the other two types if they learn at all are going to learn they're going to make better deals by being friendlier yeah so the assertive nobody is the assertive is direct and honest and blunt and harsh and as an assertive one of my colleagues in the fbi once said to me dealing with you is like getting hit in the face with a brick because I wasn't being the late night FM DJ voice with my colleagues, you know, I wasn't being soothing and calming and reassuring when I want something from them, you know, I was myself, which is assertive. And mm-hmm. it's like getting hit in the face with a brick. <laughs> so the other two types are never gonna make you feel like you got hit in the face with a brick. That's always gonna be an assertive. I'm familiar with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just look at somebody in the studio? Uh, no, I that was a kissing. mirror of myself. <laughs> oh, okay. So n- neither of the other two types will ever give you that. So if, if you think somebody's an assertive because they've been beating you with a baseball bat, they are. Mm. And now the analyst. The analyst is, is extremely thoughtful, will often come off as cold and distant. The only people that ever come off as cold and distant are the analyst. Now, they're not cold and distant. But they're, they're very guarded. Mm-hmm. Um, they're no less or no more warm than anybody else. Everybody else is friends. Everybody else is warm with people mm-hmm. who are their friends. Analysts have the same capacity for that that everybody else does. But they have a tendency to come off as cold and distant. It's like the late night FM DJ voice with no emotion, no reassurance, nothing, just cold. The analyst will only come off as that. Knowing each one assertives like making decisions now. Time is money. Analysts will make a great decision, but they need 36 hours. Like a it was an analyst CEO. Um, at a company we were training. And before we got up to train, he was giving his people some advice on how to conduct themselves. And he said, never respond to a, any email sooner than 36 hours. Like when you sent the email, you want to answer that yeah, day.
0: The assertive is like, what are we waiting on?
1: Yeah, they're sitting there tapping their feet. But understand that the analyst, they look like that they avoid decisions. And one of the Framework Frameworks calls them avoiders, mm. which is a misnomer. Uh, they're analytical, but they avoid instantaneous decisions. So give them 36 hours. You know, again, uh, my daughter-in-law, my son told me that one boss that she used to work for, she just lay out the data and leave and expect the decision the next day and get it the next day. So just understand the decision-making mechanism that somebody's going to go through. An an accommodator, they're open to any decision as long as you're still friends, Mm. which means as a general rule, they get pushed around as salespeople and as negotiators. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, this is true. But understanding who you're dealing with is important. Mm -hmm. And uh, and building trust with that person is important. So you're trying to do both of those things, understand who they are in order to build trust. And as you're building it, some of the techniques that I've, I I thought were super impressive, right? We'll talk about the no oriented questions okay. in a second, but like, um, just talk, talk about maybe the, the labeling, uh, and I, I, you know, bringing in some of the tactical empathy stuff, like what I, I like the accusation audit, some of those techniques that, that you have are kind of progressing into that trust building, uh that aspect. How do you you use those once you've sort of identified who you're working with?
1: Well, they're also great for diagnosing who you're dealing with. Okay. And um, if we had this data on the three types, uh, which we do in the experience, what we always did was when we group people into the types, we give them a very specific test. We still do this in our training today. Then we ask each group, what negotiation skills would you like to have used on you to make a great deal with you? Hmm. And all three types like labels and mirrors. That may not be their number one, but it's always in their top three. So early on, you're very safe. It's your best bet to label and mirror where you're still trying to get a feel for the other side because everybody likes it. Yeah. For different reasons, but everybody likes it. Now the label is just a verbal observation. Yeah. Yeah, on a hotline uh and in the fbi we call it emotion labels label the emotion self-defining skill in the black swan method we just call it labels because we're labeling actions we're labeling dynamics we're labeling affects your body language you look like you're having a bad day would be a pretty good label if you saw somebody that looked tense, looked like you're, you look like you're far away, it looks like your thoughts are far away, it looks like you're preoccupied, it looks like you're having a neutral day. Mm-hmm. Um, those are labels of affects. Yeah. It's just, just hanging a label on it. Now people love it because it makes them feel seen, um, paid attention to and it lands really well plus your observation can be wrong but it's your observation so you it's a safe thing to do Mm -hmm. looks like you're having a bad day no i'm having a fine day like all right well it's just how it looks Mm -hmm. you know you could i'm not saying you are i'm just saying it looks like or sounds like or seems like or seems like Mm -hmm. yeah those are those are basically the precursors for the labels So then to dig it deeper into it, you can label positives or negatives. Sounds like you like, would be labeling a positive. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you dislike, would be labeling a negative. And we talked earlier that people are principally in a default mode, their wiring is negative. Survival wiring, which is the wiring that you wake up with, your Mm -hmm. default wiring is largely negative. That was required when we were getting chased by saber-tooth tigers. <laughs> well, you know, I'm positive that saber-tooth tiger. I bet I could go up and pet it. You know what? Well, that yeah. guy got How eaten. How hard could it be? How hard could it be? <laughs> so, you know, those guys <laughs> got eaten. The uh, the pessimists we're all descendants of pessimists. So, our default wiring is negative. So that's where we're comfortable. Yeah, you feel yeah. safe. You feel you feel you feel like you know there are fifty things that could go wrong. I'm going to plan for all of them. I feel yeah. safe. Yeah. So then neuroscience comes along and tells us that the best way to deactivate the negatives is to label them. Mm-hmm. H- hang a label on it. That was a great thing about hostage negotiation. They just told us to label the tone of voice. The tone of voice was almost always going to be negative. It was almost always going to be angry. We could start out with you sound angry. Guy's trapped in a bank, you sound angry. Terrorist, he's got a kidnapped victim, you sound angry. You know, pick it, they're going to sound angry. We didn't realize that it was sound from a neuroscience perspective, in that labeling negatives is the most effective way to diffuse them. Okay. Not the only way, just the most effective way. Doesn't work. 100% of the time, nothing works 100% of the time. It just works more than anything else does. Mm-hmm. We live in a Las Vegas world, mm-hmm. which means you got to play the odds. We do not live in an ivory tower world, which is something that's perfect, that works all the time. Nothing works all the time. You got to play the odds. There are some ways to deactivate negatives that work on a very low percentage basis. Okay. You gotta get off the 10% win win table at Vegas and you gotta move to the 80% win table. That's how you make money. Mm -hmm. You go to your best chance of success. And labeling negatives is the best chance. Yeah, sometimes you're from Iowa, I'm from Iowa, Mm -hmm. I feel better. Yeah. Um, That's a low percentage win. Yeah. You win occasionally, just not as much as you should. Oh, I went through the same thing as you. That's an extremely low percentage win. Stop doing it, go to the high percentage win. Mm -hmm. It sounds like this really hurts you. Mm -hmm. Um, Suicide hotline, how am I gonna have the same loss that somebody else had? You know, at the time I'm volunteering, I haven't lost anybody in my family. Somebody's devastated over the loss of a parent. What am I gonna say, I lost my dog? No, I can't have a similar loss. It's a low percentage move. Sounds like it it tore your heart out. That's an, a label. Yeah, and adding in you know a description. Sounds like you sad. You raise the level of your game, and it sounds like what does sad do to you? What does loss do to you? Makes you feel like your heart get ripped, got ripped out. Yeah. Sounds like you feel like your heart got ripped out. That's a label. That's empathy. I never said it happened to me, I never said I agreed, I never said I understood. Mm-hmm. I demonstrated I understood. And the rest flows out of that. So the labels are really the demonstration of understanding, which tends to have a phenomenally positive impact on the receiver. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's incredible.
0: One I I wonder um uh the calibrated questions and the you know getting to that's right you know uh the, these are some of the things that like uh I, I i looked at as maybe it more advanced moves because if you if you understand mirroring and you understand labeling you can sort of practice the practice those. those those seem easier
1: the calibrated questions seem like an advanced move yeah they can be but you can lay a framework out to make it easier for yourself and the first framework is your calibrated question is take open-ended questions and just knock most of them out and just go with what and how only. Rarely why. Why is it tactical empathy surgical strike? Why makes people defensive and the vast majority of time, it's against your interests to make them defensive. Okay. Now, if you get them to defend you, then that works for you, but they got to be defending you in order to make why work. So other than that, what and how? People love to be asked what, people love to be asked how. They feel very deferential. So if you limit it to what and how, you're probably in pretty good shape. You know, the classic, it's the very first story, it never split the difference, how am I supposed to do that? Yeah. It's a how question. It feels deferential to the other side. Now to add a little bit to your thinking, to give you a framework, How is designed to reveal implementation? Either the difficulty of implementation or you're looking for guidance on implementation. If you or I are in a negotiation and you're asking me to do something I just can't do, if I say, how am I supposed to do that? That's designed to get you to see how difficult implementation is going to be for me that works a really high percentage of the time. Now, there's never a time that it doesn't work, there's a time you get different answers. Okay. How am I supposed to do that is so powerful that when it gets a different answer, people, they go in, their brain locks up. Like they don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. They haven't practiced mirroring. Mm -hmm. Earlier we talked about mirroring. Mirroring is a skill that you use when you're completely flummoxed. Yeah. When you're your disoriented, brain is it, that's disoriented. what
0: we're talking about. Yeah. Right.
1: So how am I supposed to do that is so effective that in the one time in ten that it doesn't work, <clears throat> and if you use it, you're going to use it 10, 15, 20 times. Because it works so well, you're going to do it again. Yeah. And you're going to you're going to get up to 10 times. And then the one time the person's going to find that's your problem. And I've, I've people we've coached have gotten so reliant on it. They said it didn't work. It failed me. And I said, no, it didn't fail you. It gave you a different answer that you were caught off guard by. Yeah. If I'm trying to show to tell you the implementation is impossible, and you fire back at me right now, right away, that's your problem. What you've just told me is you don't care about me. Yeah. Now that's good information to have. If I realized that that's what I'm getting, the skill didn't fail. It gave me a different answer. It's different I'm information. Yeah. Dealing with someone who does not care about me. I'm smarter. I don't like that information, but every time I go from wondering to knowing, I'm always smarter. I got to recalibrate. I got to change my battle plan. You know, the battle plan did not survive the encounter on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. I got to adjust. So how is about implementation. Yeah. Now, what is about uncovering problems? Mm-hmm. Now you can see how they go hand in hand. Use what to uncover a problem, use how to figure out how to overcome the problem. What's the biggest challenge you face? Is about me and you figuring out what are the problems. Yeah. What are the problems? Yeah. How are we going to overcome those? So then the two become complementary. If you understand what they're primarily designed
0: for, yeah, and if you've established trust and um, and you understand who these the, who the individual is that you're dealing with, right, in the process of the back and forth, the the conversation, the dialogue, that's when you start to find the black swans, right?
1: Right now, little things begin to kick out. Yeah, either um, you'll tell me something that you've been holding back. Because the l- use of labels makes you trust me. Mm-hmm. They just do. You, f- they, uh, you develop rapport, you feel listened to. If I really am listening to labels, I'm going deep into the surface. Mm-hmm. Like if you're angry, anger is a, is a resultant emotion. It yeah. results from a sense of loss mm-hmm. or a uh, uh, personal hurt. So if you're angry and I know it results from loss if you instead of saying you sound angry I may say you sound hurt mm. like you're going to feel like I really caught some- caught on to something there mm-hmm. you know you're really going to feel that I'm seeing something in you it's going to build trust yeah it's going to incline you to reveal stuff again will I'll, I'll quote Huberman cuz all this stuff is designed to trigger oxytocin Mm-hmm. We're gonna to get to that's right in a moment. That's right is the oxytocin moment. Oxytocin is a neurochemical, is the bonding drug. If you get a hit of oxytocin, you're gonna feel bonded to me. I'm not gonna feel bonded to you, but you're gonna feel bonded to me. Every time you feel understood, you're gonna get a hit of oxytocin. Mm. You're gonna to bond to me, you're gonna trust me more. And then the kicker is, oxytocin inclines you towards the truth and i didn't know that until the last year wow okay wait so
0: oxytocin uh when you feel understood you get a, a hit of oxytocin right when and then um wow that that is unbelievable and so it's it, mine it's an or- it's a- orientation towards the truth what what was the
1: last thing you said yeah, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna you're, you''re more inclined to be honest with me Oh wow! So you so I get if I figure out a way to get you start getting hits of oxytocin, you're going to bond to me, and you're going to be more honest with me. Mm -hmm. What more do you want in a negotiation? Because now, if you're going to incline to the truth, the stuff you've been holding back, you're going to tell me. Yeah. Now the innocuous stuff is where the real gold is, because since you don't know what I'm what I'm holding back. Yeah. Your, be, your
0: personal context, I don't know it.
1: Right, there's gonna be some stuff that's really important that you're just not gonna mention because yeah. you don't know what's important. Mm-hmm. And that, again, those are black swans. You you had no way of knowing it was important because I'm holding stuff back too. Yeah. And so as the conversation flows and you start to throw something out, the chances increase that uh, you'll throw something out that like, holy cow, And I'll give you an example. Um, a woman in Hollywood, um, she's a filmmaker, She's uh, and she makes like these action films where women are superheroes. Mm-hmm. You know, mostly martial arts stuff, not not like uh, X Men and mutant stuff. Mm-hmm. But she's she's trying to secure funding for one of her films from an investor, another woman, and she's having trouble getting the money. But she's mirroring and labeling the woman, and just out of the blue, the woman that's the investor reveals that she owns a castle in France. What? This is going to be the perfect setting for the second film. Okay. You're going to go from being producer to executive producer. Now, I thought I was talking about a single picture deal, and now we're talking about two or three pictures that you're heavily involved in. Changes the game. And she just she was just mirroring and labeling and, you know, the woman who's trying to invest in a movie in Hollywood that's going to be filmed in Hollywood with a budget limited to Hollywood, she got no reason to think that this castle she owns in France is gonna have any impact on a deal at all. Mm-hmm. She did not mention it because she didn't think it's important. Yeah. And it comes out, and the woman that's studying the black swan method, it's like, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how did she know to ask for that? How? how you, oh, by the way, you don't happen to own any castles in France, do you? I mean, yeah, <laughs> I gotta bring that up. Yeah. So it was a great example of a black swan that fell out of the sky based on labels and mirrors and somebody brings up something innocuous inadvertently and it's a game-changing moment
0: yeah yeah well uh i know we talked about you know being comfortable with no and uh getting to that's right i thought was a a pivotal sort of moment in the book right and is that sort right. of where is that sort of where the middle of the book was written by
1: Toll? <laughs> That's right. Was kind of in the middle of the book. Yeah, and it was. And and the chapter that That's Right is built around. I originally thought was going to be the opening chapter, and it was a chapter that sold the book to the publisher because they said nobody ever wrote a book before that wasn't about getting the yes. Like, and you you were saying like.
0: It was it's count, it's counterintuitive or counterthinking to to
1: what everyone else is doing. Completely different idea, and you back it up. The the best part is, this is not theoretical. You got example after example after example, where it was a massively transformative negotiation, whether it was with a terrorist, whether it was with a lawyer and a client, whether it was with a landlord and a an tenant. The that's right moment was a game changer moment, and uh, Brandon likes to say the Philippines with um, the Jeff Schilling case and Abu Sabaya was the birth of the That's Right moment. At the time, I had no idea how important it was. I mean, to me, it was just empathy 101. Mm-hmm. Make the other person feel heard, completely heard. Make them, and make them feel heard by repeating back everything that they've said and everything that's implied by what's important to them so that you leave them with nothing to say other than that's right, just that. And I meant it as a reset moment, but I didn't think it was gonna be a massive reset. We got a very specific framework for teaching people how to do it now, which rolls up basically is so far you've told me, and you list the facts and circumstances Mm -hmm. that they have mentioned, Mm -hmm. their facts. Not your facts, their facts so far you've told me, as a result you feel, which is essentially um, an inventory of the emotions, throwing them all out that they've expressed. Hurt, angry, alone, yeah, yeah. satisfied, happy, betrayed, whatever it is, whatever they've expressed. If you do it in that formula, so far you've told me, as a result you feel, you're very close to getting a full on, that's right. Mm-hmm. They get a hit of oxytocin. They feel understood. They feel understood. Ideally uh, a truth is revealed to them. That's right is what people say when what they've heard is complete dead-on truth and we don't have the neuroscience to back it up yet, but we think it's the and, and, uh, and I mean it both literally and figuratively. It's the Trump chemical. Yeah. Donald Trump is only one example of charismatic leaders that have devoted followers that will follow them come what may history is littered with these people and that people who are not their followers are thinking like how are these people so devoted Mm -hmm. and the devotion is there and is unshakable the unshakable bond and donald trump is simply the most recent example that he stood up in front of people and he's expressed ideas and they looked at the tv screen and they go that's right whoa and they're bonded i mean no one can argue the degree of bonding with the people. With the masses. That are following Donald yeah. Trump. Or any other, you know, if you're, if you're a Barack Obama fan, on the other side, Obama stands up in front of people, he expresses how they feel, and they go, that's right. Yeah. And they bond. So this bonding moment, really, oxytocin is like the strongest, it's an incredibly durable bond. And it's a one-way bond. You know, because for a whole variety of reasons, you don't have the ability to bond with all these people. It's a one-way bond and it's it's ridiculously powerful. Mm-hmm. So we first got on to oxytocin because we knew That's Right was big. Didn't know how big it was, but we had all of the qualitative data from game-changing moments. And we're writing it with Tal Raz and Tal's a researcher and he says, you know, I think what happens when somebody says That's Right is they've experienced an epiphany mm. of some sort. A subtle epiphany or major epiphany, but they've experienced an epiphany. So I'm like, all right, let me Google epiphany. Let me Google the neurochemicals of epiphany. On the list of epiphany neurochemicals is oxytocin, the bonding drug. I'm like, bang, that's why it's so huge. Yeah, and then ratified it. Five years later, Huberman says, and people tell the truth. It's like, no wonder it's a game changing moment. Yeah. What a discovery. It's an amazing discovery. I think, um,
0: uh, I think it's important for, um, I think it's important for entrepreneurs to really remember, uh, that, that this is, it's, you called it, um, it's like, uh, like working out, this is a muscle. This whole right. sort of thing is a muscle, and the deep understanding of it requires practice, experience, and and search of new information. So this whole sort of like you uh, a resolute and and a permanent learner,
1: yeah. you know that, yeah, yeah. that
0: orientation will help will help entrepreneurs in a big way.
1: Yeah, and and let me let me put a caveat and a fine point on that because there are a number of different people that have said the only sustainable competitive advantage is to learn faster than your competition first attributed to a a Shell Dutch executive 50 years ago. A bunch of other people have added to it. Jack Welch added another fine point. Learn faster than your competition and use the information. Put it into action. Now here's how I would change that. You don't got to learn fast. You just got to keep learning. Okay. We teach for people to just to learn a little bit every day, get 1% smarter. Just, you don't have to learn fast, and everybody else put the emphasis on learning faster than your competition. I am here to tell you and your audience that your competition's gonna quit. A friend of mine, Molly Bloom, likes to say, you can't lose if you don't quit. Mm-hmm. Your competition's gonna quit you know, the the old, there is no finish line saying, uh-huh. which I never liked because my reaction was like, ah, oh, geez. Can I just no run, f- another, ra- run yeah. another race? Yeah, you know, can I take a break? There is no finish line. Like That seems, uh, that's overwhelming. Yeah. Well, your competition's gonna quit. So if you're comfortable with your competition's gonna quit, then you only have to learn a little bit at a time mm-hmm. and you have to not give up And as long as you do those two things, as long as you're willing to just learn slowly, you're gonna win, because you didn't quit. They did, Mm -hmm. and you kept getting slowly smarter, which when you accumulated over a year, two years, three years, you were massively smarter than they are. Yes, never
0: stop, never stop, I love it. Well, I uh, I have some rapid fire questions for you, you ready?
1: All right. All right, you ready?
0: <laughs> do you ever feel guilty when you in uh, maybe win an argument because
1: you have a brutally unfair advantage? You can't win arguments. Um. Nobody, uh, there's a phrase, um, many phrases that are gender or age-based are inaccurate because they're about human beings mm. and it has nothing to do with gender or age. So the inaccurate, Phrases, there's two rules for arguing with women and both of them are wrong. And the truth phrase is there's two rules for arguing arguing with people and both of them are wrong. Mm. Nobody wins an argument. So I don't I don't argue. Now, societally we're taught the opposite by movies and TV. And lawyers love to make arguments. Yes. And they and in the movies and in the TV, somebody makes an argument, and then it's a transformative moment. And the angels appear and the birds chirp and the heavens part. Mm -hmm. And that's wrong. Nobody wins an argument. There are people who lose less, but you still lose. Mm. So, yeah, I I don't win arguments. And if I take a different position from somebody else, for me to want to have the arrogance that I might be completely right, I also have to recognize the other person might be completely right. Yeah. And that's why you don't split the difference. They could be right. If I want you to, you know, if I want everything, like I gotta be open-minded enough to be smarter today than I was yesterday. Mm-hmm. You could be right. So if, if we have a difference of opinion, you might be right. And if I'm open to that, then it increases my outcomes. That's powerful. Well, uh, with these negotiation techniques,
0: What's the most common mistake or misuse
1: that you've seen people make um, no oriented question using it out of context uh, the the probably the most famous nego- uh, no oriented question is have you given up on X designed to be used when somebody's ghosting you mm-hmm. you're trying to revitalize a project they haven't they've stopped your emails responses and all that. If it's an opening line, It's manipulation. Okay. And I get emails and texts all the time. Have you given up on hiring my company for your social media? Well, since I never started, I couldn't have given up. Now, anytime I sense it's a manipulative use of one of my skills, I'll either delete, block, or occasionally, just to um, verify my instinct, I'll engage back and forth with this person a couple of times to verify my initial data. And I've never been proven wrong. Wow. Anytime somebody starts starts with have you given up on, they're a manipulative person using my method against me, in which case I simply stop talking to them, disengage. Mm-hmm. Or, I'm, or, or every now and then I'll say yes. You ghost them and then see if they say it again, yeah, and then I'll say yes.
0: <laughs> well, do you have a, a favorite law crime TV series? Wow, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you ever thought about acting? Uh, you'd you'd kind of play a good hostage negotiator on TV.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, the problem is, the entertainment industry, unfortunately, is an indus- industry where. Um, most of the the core values are not don't match up with mine, mm-hmm. so I have trouble make uh, I I choose not to make deals in the entertainment industry. Okay, wow, that's good to know. Well, what actor
0: uh, would you have play Chris Voss? Idris I'd... Elba. Oh, that's a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> have an MBU. That would be a ridiculously good one. Yeah, you got so many good stories. What what's a what's an entrepreneur? Uh, has really inspired you and why?
1: Uh, wow, because I'm, I'm around a lot of people on a regular basis. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a member of, um, I get coached on how to be a better business executive by an organization called Str- Strategic Coach run by a guy named Dan Sullivan and his wife Babs Smith. And um, everybody in there, Are successful entrepreneurs who have built businesses that are way bigger and way more successful than than mine. So, you know, you try to be the average of the five people you hang out with, right? Yeah, I'm always trying to elevate my game by hanging around superstar entrepreneurs. Um, Of the more visible guys, like I like Mark Cuban. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like him a lot. Um, He's uh, he's a decent, supportive guy. I know people that do business with him. I've had I interviewed him on a social media platform Fireside, and I you know I, I like what he's about. When I talk to him too, I think he's mischaracterized on Shark Tank because the other sharks like to make him think you know portray him as a bully. Occasionally, he's not a bully. Yeah, but he tests you. You got to have an A game if you're going to do business with him because you're his ambassador and you can't you can't get pushed around. So he's going to push you around to see whether or not you can stand up for yourself. Okay. But in the interview I was talking to him, uh, he said like he's a big believer in trust and uh, integrity as a means of making deals faster. And he'll spend a lot of time with people up front to let them know that they can trust him because he wants to make subsequent deals and he wants the timeframes to accelerate. Okay. And so the more you know you can rely on him, the quicker you can make a deal. And that's a great philosophy. Yeah, it is. That's incredible. Well, it's
0: been a huge honor to, to sit and chat with you. I, I, hopefully you can tell I'm a huge fan. Thank you. I have an appreciation for your work. What What's next for Chris Voss? Well, um,
1: we, we, uh, we got a book. There are three things. Um, there's a documentary film that's been made on my company. It's gonna premiere in Los Angeles on September 26th. Okay. Uh, looking forward. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Um, Nick Nanton DNA Films, that it, Nick has 22 M- Emmys, he's got a good track record, he's a good person. He says it's good. He says it's gritty. He said it turned out a little grittier than I expected. Yeah, imagine that. So yeah, exactly. Um, and that's pretty cool, it's also gonna, it's gonna put a little bit more of a spotlight on my son, Brandon, who's a super talented guy. We've got a real estate, uh, book for real estate, residential real estate agents, should be on about six months. And um, the Tactical Empathy Operations Manual will be out in about a year. That sounds
0: so good. Wow. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming out and spending time in the studio.
1: Yeah. Tell people about the newsletter. Okay. Yeah. All um right. The newsletter is um, free, and but that's not why it's val- valuable. It's actionable and it's concise. Um, that's what makes something valuable. Mm-hmm. Is it concise and can you use it? Go The best way to get there is Black Swan website is BlackSwanLTD.com. Upper right-hand corner is a tab for the blog. The blog is The Edge. You sign up for it, you get it emailed to you on Tuesday morning. It's free, but again, stuff that's free can be useless.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: It's, uh, it's actionable. And we got a lot of free stuff. And you really need to get a good grounding in all the stuff that we have that's free. The newsletter and the book and the free stuff on a website will take you a long, long way. We got training that we charge a lot for. But you're not going to be ready for it. If you don't got the
0: baseline. If you
1: haven't filled out the baseline on the free stuff. Mm -hmm. So the Mm newsletter is a great starting point. It's it's the gateway to the goldmine. That's powerful. Hey, thanks for sharing with us. Appreciate you, Chris. My pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for coming to the studio.